Being a product of the upper Midwest, like most of you, I was raised to be nice. Be polite. Don't stand out. Don't get too big for your britches. Once I remember having lunch with a group of dad's friends, I was about 12 years old, and this is after I'd hit a home run in a little league game. And after dad told them about it, I did the appropriate thing and blushed and said, oh, it wasn't that great. I thought it was that great. But afterward, dad said, those folks think you're really humble. It was a compliment. So I had been socialized well. But that's not the kind of humility that Jesus is talking about in our reading today. Jesus is not talking about socially acceptable modesty or the conversational dances that we, that we do sometimes. You know, this kind of self-deprecating, oh, I'm not that good at that. He isn't talking about understating one's abilities or basic human decency. Jesus is talking about status. And in the kingdom of heaven, the concepts of status and hierarchy are turned upside down. On Sunday, we heard Jesus tell his disciples for the first time where his ministry was heading. It was heading straight to the cross. It would lead to his suffering, death, and resurrection, which stunned his disciples. Peter, in particular, was offended by any notion of Jesus' suffering few verses before this reading, Jesus restates this, which Matthew tells us caused them great distress. So perhaps the disciples needed a distraction, something to take their minds off of the horrible truth that Jesus has just told them twice. Or perhaps they're thinking about, well, if Jesus is going to be gone, who's next in line? Either way, they come to Jesus with a question which shows just how enmeshed they are in human imperial ways of thinking that rely, once again, on the devil's logic. This is a kind of a constant theme that keeps coming up, the ways in which we are captive to the devil's way of thinking, as exemplified by the temptations of Jesus, which we heard about a few weeks ago. The disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now they try to disguise it. They don't ask, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, right? But the implication of the question is pretty clear. This isn't a general question, but a question of status. Kingdoms have kings, after all. They also have nobles, courtiers, and inner circle. If that's the case, Jesus, who among us is the best? The most deserving of status, the worthiest of privilege. It's the question that drives socialization from a very young age, as even preschoolers are starting to play the games that we play around status. They're starting to establish a pecking order. It drives societies, governments, nation-states, not-for-profits, and yes, churches and congregations, perhaps especially churches and congregations. It's at the heart of the isms that separate peoples, 
of different skin tones, ethnicities, classes, gender, sexual orientations, and beliefs into more or less privileged groups. Simply put, this question, who is the greatest, is at the root of much human misery in the world. Jesus sees right through the disciples' question and calls a child to them. And he asks her to stand among the disciples, making her equal to that, this little child. And he says, the greatest, you need to become like her, like this humble child, to even enter the kingdom. Leave alone. Leave your concepts of greatness behind. You need to change. The heavenly kingdom is not like any earthly government. There can be no jockeying for status because there's no status to jockey for. The heavenly kingdom is not like any of the other realms that we occupy in our daily lives. Even when Jesus says, whoever becomes humble like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that undercuts the whole idea of status in God's kingdom. Children in those days had low status, lower than today. They were even more vulnerable to abuse, illness, and death back then. Most children in the ancient world didn't survive to adulthood. This underscores the point. Being great means setting aside privilege. It's an ironic thing for Jesus to say. Being great means setting aside one's own privilege. It means letting go of those things which consign unearned prestige. The call to humility is at the root of the text last week. When Jesus tells the disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow as Jesus will tell his disciples later in Matthew's Gospel, Call no one your father on earth, for you have one father in heaven. Call no one your teacher on earth, for you have one teacher, the Messiah, and you are all students. All of this is a call to remember who we are and whose we are. We all belong to God. No one is better or worse than anyone else. And we remember these things because of who Jesus is. Jesus emptied himself of all status and privilege without denying who he is. Matthew tells us that Jesus, the one who will save people from their sins, who has saved us from our sins, was born to a woman under suspicious circumstances, had to flee with his family as a refugee from the murderous King Herod, and settled in Nazareth, a wrong side of the railroad tracks kind of town if there ever was one. He wasn't a man of high status, but a, what the Greek calls a tecton, a craftsman. He gathered 12 men of equally low status to be his disciples, a fisherman, fisherman, a tax collector, and, yes, a domestic terrorist. It sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? Fisherman, a tax collector, and a domestic terrorist walk into... Well, forget it. You get the idea. Jesus taught and healed and fed all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Jesus, the Lord, is truly one of us. 
setting aside the privilege of his divinity for the sake of humanity, for the lost sheep of God's creation. And that is all of us indeed. We are all the lost sheep of God's good creation. And that's the important thing. Because Jesus set aside his privilege for us, for you, for me, to save us from sin and give us a place at the heavenly banquet. We're also empowered to set aside our privilege for the well-being of the whole flock. Especially for these little ones that Jesus talks about. That's what the Lenten disciplines of prayer, almsgiving, and fasting are all about. That's what the imposition of ashes, in part, is about. When we receive these ashes, practice the disciplines, we remember that we're all simply human among these lost sheep that need to be called back home. We're all destined to return to the dust. No one is better or worse than anyone else. We also remember today that we're destined for more, to live into the shalom that God intends for us all. So have a blessed Lent. A Lent where we go back to basics, the basics of the Christian life, knowing that all of this builds shalom among us all. Jesus saves us by letting go of his privilege. We are invited to let go of ours as well for the well-being of all of God's beloved children. When that happens, even in part, even in a provisional way on this side of heaven, we will glimpse God's heavenly realm among us. Thanks be to God. Amen.